<laughs> but um, if you have the word with you today, I'd love you to open up to um, 1 John 4, 15 to 18. Um, and I'm going to talk today about him, um, of course, <laughs> uh, but as perfect love, perfect love. Um, and how this perfect love persuades us and convinces us of how good he is, how whole he is, how full he is, how uh, he really does have all the answers to questions in life. Um, So just reading verse 15. Whoever confesses and acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with a deep and consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. And in this, the union and the fellowship with him, love is completed Love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgments with the assurance and the boldness in him to face him. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but perfect, which means complete and full-grown Love drives out fear. Perfect, full, complete, mature love drives out fear. Because fear involves the expectation of divine punishments. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love. The one who fears God's judgment is not perfected in love, which means they have not grown in the sufficient understanding of God's love. And I want us to hear this today. We love God only because he loved us first. We love him only because he revealed himself to us first only because he initiated leaving the place of glory, heaven, to come to earth to show himself and reveal himself to us. He is the initiator. He is the beginning and the end. And my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. He is perfect love. And by this, I mean he is complete. He is whole. He is entire. He is full. He is perfect. He is all-consuming, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the heavenly armies. He is victorious. And I'm struggling to find any loss or lack in him. 
as it's hard for my flesh, who knows my own nature and humanity, uh, to comprehend such a benevolence and abundant love that is given so freely, free but not cheap. A love that is so incorruptible, so incorruptible and pure in heart, yet is so for the human soul, so toward a broken world that it cannot be diluted, it cannot be tainted by the corruptible or the wicked. It is not afraid to risk itself to the unresponsive. It is not afraid to risk itself to the unresponsive, to the convicts or to the hard-hearted. It is so gentle in nature, it will soften the hardest heart. It is so patient, it will answer the questions of the suspicious, the critics, and the proud. This love will put up and it will forbear with the ignorant and with the know-it-alls. It's a love, a love so rare, it's really unfathomable, especially to those who know they are unworthy of such love. It's a long-suffering that outlasts the rejection. It's a love that gives us free choice to discover for ourselves. It's a love that comforts the brokenhearted, the fearful, and the hurting. A love that strengthens the weak. A love that is selfless and relentless and will pursue, will initiate, and it will convince the object of its affection just how good he really is. This kind of love that draws us to redemption and restores us to wholeness gives us peace, joy, righteousness. It is a love that has an abundant, energized nature, yet will reign itself under perfect control for the benefit of others. Love at, at its utmost heights, love at its climax, love that outdoes itself. This is perfect love. And who is like him? Micah, who is like him? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This perfect love is the originator of all things. He's the creator, the beginning, and the end. And it says, for in him all things were created. All things were created on earth and in heaven, visible and invisible, whether it's the thrones, the powers, the authorities, the rulers, all things have, be create, have been created, listen to this, through him and for him, all things. So he is the sum of life. And somehow, and I was thinking just this morning in worship, somehow the attention of the Lord who created the most Intricate things from the insects, the butterflies, to the galaxies and the world. There's so much attention paid to the creation of this world. And the attention is focused on the apple of his eye, who is us. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's to this point that I, I really have come to know uh, his love in all these ways that I've just described. In every part of my life and at every stage, through every struggle and every circumstance, and especially every question that I've had, because I've had questions. 
His love to this day is confronting my deepest fears and it's comforting every pain that I've experienced, that I see, that I hear, uh, and that I know of. And every wall that I try to put up to block the surge of his flowing, abundant love, he is breaking down. I am running out of excuses. Um, I'm exhausting every resource that I have. Uh, I am losing to him in every insecurity that I can blame. I cannot win in my doubting. I, I just cannot win. He, is, he overcomes every hurdle I put before him. There is just no loss in him. There's no disappointment in him. There is no corruption in him. He performs on what he promises. He does what he says. Um, he fulfills every word he has spoken. He is the I am. Every year of communing with him, I'm, I'm really astounded at how much better it gets every year. He's so mysterious, but he's so knowable. And he's, he's so big, it's uncomprehendable, but he's so personal. And it just gets better and better with him, really, glory to glory in him. You know, I sometimes on, on Facebook, <clears throat> I'll see, I'll, I'll have friends that hashtag the best is yet to come. And I, I get that. But today, honestly, these are like the best days of my life. Being with him is just the the, the fullness of him that I experience <clears throat> to a measure every day is it makes my days wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And yes, the, the fullness of that to come, we can look forward to, but today, today are our best days. And, you know, I just cannot find a reason not to praise him, to lift him on high, to honor him to waste my life on him, to be utterly convinced of his goodness, to be utterly consumed in knowing him. It, it's all I want to do. He is inescapable and I cannot hide from him. He is penetrating uh, that sometimes I just can't even bear to be alone with him because I'm so aware that he's paying attention to me. <laughs> and it's it's hard to comprehend and it's hard to take in. That glory is of such weight. And he convinces me to such a point that I get lost for words. Um, and, you know, he's, he's so consuming that I don't even know, like, who I was is fading. And I literally have conversations with old friends and they go, remember this, remember that. And I, I can honestly, I, I don't really, you know, like it's just that life before him is fading. But the life with him that I look forward to more in him is becoming more and more alive, that it's a reality that is convincing me more and more of perfect love. <clears throat> My heart is overflowing with a good theme. 
and I recite my composition concerning the king. And my tongue is a pen, uh, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So the good theme is that he is perfect love, the king of perfect love. And today I recite my composition concerning him. These are only my words to describe him when I'm with him in the king's chambers, my life composition of his unfailing and perfect love. And I love him. I love him because he first loved me. And complete love lifts me to higher ground. It is here that I gain love's perspective of my life on the earth. It is with this view that I see the course of life progressing into the consummate goal of love being perfected in me. At this height, I am graced to visually inspect, discern the physical events that are taking place, that there is really no loss in him in the grand purpose. Because if everything is created in him and for him, then how can anything in him be lost? Everything is found in him because everything was created in him and for him. This is where my treasures are stored, in heavenly places. It's where I set my mind on things above. And I've been born again in this place. And I've been raised in this place. And it's where I see the unseen, and it's where I'm stirred by him, by what stirs him. And it's from this place that I'm really realizing that what it means to live and move and have my being in him. It's in this place. Um, And it's this place that I'm describing as my most intimate place. It's my most intimate place. It is where I am transformed. It's where perspective of life comes. It's where I experience and receive his divine power that has been granted to me, to us. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything in life pertaining to God and godliness can be found in that intimate place with him. And this is only through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Only by his own glory and excellence. And I know this love and this place because it's where he's had to convince me of so many things. It's where he's had to persuade me of being sure of the call on my life and the call on the church's life on the earth. It is in this place that I've had to learn his perspective, to see as he sees, to hear his heart. And, you know, I've received these things only because I have been the doubting Thomas, okay? I have, um, I've, I've been the forsaking Peter. Uh, in this place, I've been found out as the hypocrite. In this place, I've been found as the self-promoted Caiaphas, In this place, I've been the adulterous woman, the selfish Judas, the Habakkuk asking the big questions of life. It's in this place where I'm asking him, why is unrighteousness reigning over the earth? 
Why are we seeing the unrighteous prosper? Where are you in this? When I flick the news on, where are you? What is going on? And it's in this place that I come in to be with him in the intimacy with him where I get to ask the questions, everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's in this place of witnessing the pain of others or um, people that have lost children or going through horrible things like cancer or people's whose lives, lives are ending and they don't have salvation. It pains me. It pains me. It pains me uh, to, to see sometimes how the body, people who say they love God, respond to him in such a lukewarm, rigid way, yet have such a white, hot, fiery passion for a program. It pains me. But it's here, in this place, this intimate place with him, that I've come to know a selfless love that will be and be patient with my suspicious questions, my selfish requests. It's redeeming love that restores my hope in my broken heart, comforted. It's in his long-suffering love that reminds me of eternity when I endure lights and um, sorry, temporary and light afflictions. It's in that place that I come to him and he shows me perspective from beginning to end because he is a complete and full God with a complete and full perspective. It's here where I ask the questions and am answered. You see, it's in the union and the fellowship with perfect love that perfect love perfects himself in me, in us. So perfect love is committed to perfecting himself, which is love, in us, in that intimate place, in that place where we feel lost, in that place where we are hurting, in that place where we don't understand what's going on by what our physical eyes are seeing. It's in that holy of holies, the place, the closest place in his heart, in his heart, where we can question, we can ask, we can cry, we can mourn, we can be angry because he is perfect love and that does not put him off. He is not... It's not going to break him down. It's, it's not going to make him angry that he leaves us. He is perfect and complete love that invites us into that place. So it's in the union and the fellowship with him that perfect love is perfecting himself in me. And perfect, you know, it's such a definitive word. And I know that in the world, perfect can seem, um, it means like being flawless, right? No, no flaws. But actually what it means, it comes from the word telos, right? Which means consummated goal, okay? Full stature, mature, complete. But listen to this. It's from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal,
perfect, complete, full love, consummate goal comes from the necessary process that needs to take place in order that it will increase in measure to the fullness. It's very interesting. Otherwise developed into a consummating completion by fulfilling the necessary process. And I pray we hear this, this word, perfect, because we're called to be perfect, right? And it's like, uh, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. But he's like, no, I'll persuade you into perfection only because I am perfect, love. So I pray we hear this and that the Spirit of the Lord will really enlighten us on what this means. Because by me understanding this to a measure, and I know that this will only hopefully increase, is that in all things I can rejoice. In all things. Not for everything, because there's some things you don't want to rejoice about, right? But in everything I can rejoice. Because I can give praise to him um, in every circumstance, only because by his own definition, by his own definition, he has declared that in him, through him, and for him, everything has been created. Which means what? It means that perfect love has the end goal in mind. Okay? And that he has ordained the necessary process, the unfolding of our lives, that it will come into a consummating completion. Are we hearing what I'm saying? For love to be perfected in us, it must go through the necessary stages, the unfolding of our lives through events, through trials, through tests, through victories, ups and downs. This has to happen in order that perfect love will be perfected in us. That we would come into completion, the consummate goal of himself. Jesus, as our high priest, had to go through the necessary process, the necessary stages to reach the end goal. Was him leaving the place of glory to come to earth necessary? Was it necessary? Was him being tested in the wilderness necessary? What about the anguish he was in at the Garden of Gethsemane? Necessary? Finally, was the end goal, the consummating completion, and the climax of love that was displayed on the cross, was this necessary? Yes. 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 And hallelujah. So then, how can I despise the necessary process? The unfolding, the unfolding of events in my life. How can that be in vain or even wasted, lost or unnecessary? Because if I'm made in him, through him and for him, because everything's created in him, through him and for him. So if I am then how much more should my life imitate the life of Christ when everything was created in him, right? So how much more, 
do I need to go through the necessary process as Christ did to come into the, the completion, right? Does this not mean that I can find, we can find a heavenly perspective with an eternal purpose through a divine process in the midst of daily life? I'm going to say that again. Does this not mean that we can find a heavenly perspective with an eternal purpose through a divine process in the midst of physical life, through circumstances, the tragedies, the wins, the fails, the daily grind, the ups and downs, the mountaintops, the valleys? Because Paul says, you know, we are pressured in every way but we're not crushed. Yes? We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down and persecuted, but we're not deserted. We're struck down, but never destroyed. Never. Because we live according to an endless life. Always carrying around the body of of the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. For, for we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of being handed over to death for the sake of Jesus so that the resurrection life of Jesus may also be evidenced in our moral body, mortal body, sorry, which is subject to death. So physical death is actively working. We know this, okay? We're, we're getting old, all of us, and uh, death is constantly at our door. But at the same time, thank the Lord, spiritual life is actively working in us, and it's perfecting something, which is called love, which is himself, completion. And it is good news, isn't it? This perspective is found... To be able to see this way and to, to, to truly comprehend that, that this is a necessary process, life is a necessary process for a, a divine purpose to come about. To have this perspective, it's only found in the Holy of Holies. It's only found in that intimate place, a place of deep communing, the intimacy uh, with him. And this is why that place is of such value, because it's where love is perfected through the infused union of heaven and earth, spiritual and physical. Okay? And it's for this that Jesus made a way through the cross as our forerunner who entered within the veil. Okay, if he did not lay his life down on the cross and, and made a way through that, through that curtain, through the Holy of Holies, we, we would not be able to experience the place of intimacy and deep communing with the Lord. My question is, are we experiencing this? Because he laid his life down for it. So do, are we communing deeply with him? Because we can. We can. I know we can. And... You see, the tabernacle, right, where, where the Lord's presence resided, was made up of three courts. There was an outer court with the, the brazen lava for washing and a brazen altar for sacrifice. And this place, they say, um, 
and sorry, I should have mentioned beforehand uh, that this is, um, I read this, this is part of what, how Art Katz would describe it. This is the place of foundational salvation with a great deal of priestly activity. Then there was a second area called the holy place in which there was much less activity. It was there we find the table of showbread, the menorah of God, and the seven-branched candlestick that illuminated the room. Okay, so this was the tabernacle. Then there was one further room, the holiest place of all, the holy of holies. And only one priest could enter in once a year. We know this, right? Um, And there was no menorah, there was no lamp light, because the light of the holiest place was the Shekinah presence of God himself. He was the light source in this place, uh, and it is where he dwelt. And in that place was only one piece of furniture, one piece. Do we know what it is? It's the mercy seat. And Art, uh, Art, Art Katz describes it this way. The significance of the mercy seats, I believe the two cherubim, which is those little angels, uh, represents all that is contrary and opposite in the genius of God's creation. Now, I want us to really hear this, okay? Male and female, Jew and Gentile, prophet and teacher. Think of any tension, any inherent opposition that comes from the differences that God has created. God is saying, I will meet with you in the place of tension. I will meet with you in the place of tension. I will meet with you in the place where the natural outworking of the differences that I created will be the most viable and forceful reality. It is there that God meets with us, and it's there he will commune with us. And it's there that he will speak to us and give us instruction. It is there that he gives his word, his mind, and thoughts. We do not have to conjure something up or pick anything up someone else is saying. And I know this. I know this. (laughs) If we will meet with him in that place... He will impart to us his own mind and his own nature. It's so amazing. It is a precious dependency and promise. Only that instruction is viable. Only that instruction is life-giving. Only that instruction can meet the need of the hour as God alone knows it. And it's his great grace that gives it. In that place, God will meet with us. Amen, right? He knows what we need in our hour of need. And it's in that place that he will give to what we need. So we don't have to depend on what others are saying about him. Because in the outer court, people talk about him. Why talk about him when we can be with him? Right? But we have to be found in the tensions of life. The necessary process. The necessary process that that draws us before him. The word tensions. Now, how often do we hear the word tensions in this house? (laughs) Danny, I'm sure, hears it six times a day, every day. (laughs) 
But, you know, it's, again, it's such a definitive word. And um, yeah, um, such a definitive word. But I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. I sort of skipped a, a bit. But, you know, his bride is not prepared in heaven. She's prepared on the earth. Okay, and it's right here where we are. And again, this is Art Katz describing. It's right here where we are in the daily grind of life that he meets with us and he prepares us and he perfects us. Um, It's in the stages and the tensions of life, the tensions of life that we experience that cause change. It's the very tensions of life that cause transformation if we will allow it. Because here's the very interesting thing, right? The word faith means pistis, which means to firmly persuade. This blows my mind because more and more, I can see we, are, we have been set up, people. We have been set up, ambushed, okay? He, he, he has created tensions in life that will that will bring a forceful and viable reality of love being perfected through tensions. Okay? I hope this is making sense because it's, it's blowing my mind. It's, it's making me look at things so differently, so differently. We just can't lose in him. If we look into what the nature of tensions is, we will see that This is actually a method of persuasion. So let's do a study on on, um, good old tensions, hey? Because I think it's pretty amazing that words like tension and perfect and unity and these sort of things. I mean, tension's not really a biblical word, right? Like you don't really find it in the word. Yet it has been such a definitive word in our journey. And it's uncanny because the words that have been spoken for this house are coming into are becoming a reality. <laughs> I am I am so convinced of what he's doing here. It's like anyone can say anything to me about the rock and I'm like, I know what God's doing. I know, I know, because it's uncanny how his word is word becoming flesh. You can't deny that. So how does tension work? It is probably the fundamental driving force that moves us to change. We're all about transformation here, aren't we? Okay, so this is what tension does. The principal thing of it is that it, it creates change. It is the driving force that moves change. And it's at the heart of virtually all persuasion techniques. I just thank God, you know, like, (laughs) he's so clever, so clever and so cheeky, like to persuade us, it's faith. He wants to persuade us into him. Why should he? The creator, beginning and end, has time to persuade us. That's so crazy. So how does tension feel? It's a feeling. Although it's usually um, 
internally sense there's an emotion, but actually it's a physical tension as well. So it's the muscles can tense up involuntary, and it's uncomfortable, and it makes us want to reduce tension. Okay? That's very interesting. Emotions that are felt include irritation, anger, fear, emptiness, hunger, wishing, discomfort, anticipation. And I know all of us have gone through these emotions in the last few years, right? Because it's this tension of who we are, but who are we called to be? We're stuck in the two tensions, and it sucks sometimes. Okay, but we've been set up, guys. We've been set up for the ultimate goal. So tension happens between two things, like the hooks at either end of a stretched rubber band. Okay, so the spiritual and the physical, abundance and lack, life and death. These are just examples. But the creation of tension is this, that the identification of two contrasting items and the communication of this difference to the person being persuaded. Okay, I'll read that again. The creation of tension is thus, the identification of two contrasting items and the communication of this, of this difference to the person being persuaded. It may seem very simple, but this is the bare core of most persuasion methods. Habakkuk for an example, and I've been getting my head in Habakkuk for the last week or two, and it's just amazing. You know, he lived in one of the most crazy times um, in one of Judah's most critical periods, and his country had fallen from the heights of Josiah's reform to the depths of violent treatment of its citizens, um, oppressive measures against the poor, and the collapse of the legal system. The world around Judah was at war. And what added to her inner turmoil was that the north was threatening war and invasion. Okay, these are big things to deal with, right? So naturally, Habakkuk is overwhelmed by the circumstances all around him. And he can think nothing, he can't think of anything else um, except the iniquity and the violence that he sees among the people. And again, you know, this is me watching the news. This is what I see. And it, ugh consumes me it consumes me and I cry and I take it to him and then he takes me to higher ground and he gives me perspective now in the beginning Habakkuk believes that God has removed himself from the chaos and the and actually he charges him of being passive about the reign of unrighteousness over the earth yet he still addresses him And this is big for me because we can respond in two ways to tension, right? Depending on how we view the two factors that are creating the tension. If we focus more strongly on a desirable future, then this will pull us towards it as we seek to achieve the future. On the other hand, if we focus first on the undesirable present, then this has the effect to push us away from it as we seek to avoid a future where the discomfort remains. Okay? This is is part of the study on tensions, which is so interesting. Because the tensions in life, we have a decision where we can either 
look to him who is the future, the completion, the full purpose, the full perfect love, if we look at him, we will have a urge to move towards him. If we are looking around us as Habakkuk had all those circumstances happening, it's going to pull us away from him. Habakkuk being in the tension that God is righteous and exists and says he is almighty and at work is contending. It's in conflict with what he is seeing. He is in two tensions, but he has chosen the position to come before the Lord and address him. And it says he waited to hear from the Lord to be corrected. He came before the Lord waiting to be convinced, waiting to be persuaded. It's that place where we're convinced by perfect love's perspective. As Habakkuk did, I'm learning how the tensions of life, the catastrophic circumstances that we see, it actually demands us to bring the life's questions to the one who created life, right? Who redeems life, who is the beginning and the end. Why? Because the necessary process has to happen in order that we come into the fullness. Habakkuk's sight was raised above circumstances, not being ruled by worldly considerations, but by fixing his eyes, his hope on God. He was no longer controlled by or even anxious over what the, over his circumstances as the Lord persuaded him to higher ground, to see where he sees, to have the complete view that he has. And Habakkuk declared, he will make me walk on high hills. Now, I had to keep repeating this because it sounds like high hills, but it's high hills, accents, <laughs> high hills. That would be cool though, eh, Danny, walking on high hills? Yeah. No. Um, okay. Asking the question, <laughs> sorry. Um, asking the question why actually demonstrates that faith is presence, okay? Um, it's the presence of faith, not the lack of it. Why? Because I believe that he has the answers to all questions pertaining to life and godliness. He has all the questions because he knows all things. Perfect love urges us by the mercies of God to present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. To not be conformed but to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So that, listen to this, we may prove the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We see these tensions throughout the word of God and how people respond, especially in the life of Christ. And if we look at Jesus in the garden, when Jesus was in the garden, he knew that his physical life was coming to an end. And in this point, he was betrayed and he was falsely accused. And like I said, we can respond in two ways to tension, depending on how we view the two factors that are creating tension. In this case, it's, but he knew both. This is the thing, and he lived in both. It's, he knew the will of the Father was to lay his life down. Okay. What people were thinking of who Jesus was, that he was going to come as this king and like wipe out you know, like come with a strength and it was all on, right? But he came as a humble servant and laid his life down. He wasn't meant to die. He was meant to live. 
It's what people were thinking, you know? And it's in the tensions um, that look contrasting and conflicting and contradicting, but both have been created in him, through him, and for him. And, you know, in that moment in Gethsemane where, you know, the, the anguish, he was looking to the joy that was set before him. He was looking to the future. He knew that by laying his life down on the cross, he was going to make a way for us to be with him for eternity. Okay? That, that was on the one hand. When the tensions reveal the gap, right, who we are, who we are to become, the response, the typical response can be to redouble efforts, repeating what we have done. Anyone been there? Yes, me. I was having this conversation with my daughter in the car. She was saying, Jaren and Jay. And I went, it sounded like day. And so I was like, day or Jay? She's like, Jay, mama, Jay. Like getting really frustrated. But the more she was getting frustrated with me because I couldn't understand her, the more she was like repeating herself and getting louder and louder. And this is what we do. When we see the gap, we start redoubling our efforts. We start talking louder or slower so people will understand us. You know, when we're talking to someone who's, you know, from a different country or you trying to understand my accent right now, talk slower. Don't say hills, hills, you know. Like, this is what we do. We redouble our effort because we want to reduce the tension. But there's nothing we can do. No. (laughs) And we actually have this urge, um, this thing in our brain that creates urges, okay, to fix things, but we can't, we can't fix it, so we can't keep doing it again, because um, then we, we become what we see uh, in the word, where people walked around for 40 years in circles, doing the same thing, round and round and round, okay, this is human nature, this is what we do, we don't, we don't learn from history, we don't, we repeat the same things, I look at, looking at South Africa at the moment, and it's like, we've been through this, this unforgiveness, this race, this racial thing. Why are we here again? Circles, we, human nature, we work in circles. It's like he just wants to pull us in line, straight line, you know? We can't work for our salvation. We can work out our salvation, but we can't work for our salvation, okay? We can't reach the Lord, We can't build, we can build a tower of Babel to reach him. He reaches us. He bends over, humble king, and he reaches his hand to us. And we will exhaust ourselves trying to perfect ourselves because we can't. We can't. We cannot make ourselves perfect because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And this is a deep urge system that we have actually within the brain that pressurizes us into important survival actions like eating, fighting, or sleeping. So when we feel these urges, we feel the tension of needing to comply with the urge against any other desires. You see, this is what we really need to know, is that the Lord, the only thing he is urging us is to come to him. He's not asking us to do more. He's not asking us to redouble our efforts, to keep doing the same thing over and over. He is urging us to come before him. The rock, the heart of this place, I know. We're not, we're revealing the gap. Okay, everyone's feeling the gap, the tension of who we are, who we are to become, and it's putting pressure. 
it's creating tension and it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. And I, I didn't like it. I, I still have those moments when I'm before him. Perfection, not so much. You're calling me to be perfect. I can only depend on you to do that. But the only way, the only way that perfect love can perfect itself is that we come before perfect love, okay? Because we can't do it. Feeling the pressure and the tension is that we would enter into the veil to be where he is. And he will do the work, the transforming, where he will bring us alive from deadening situations or oppressive tasks. And I hope this frees us because it, it's, it has freed me that I can't perfect myself through my own works. That I'm free to be convinced by the Lord himself. To be real and transparent and open to him. Because... I know that he makes us perfect and that he sees us with the end goal in mind. Thank goodness. And is committing to perfecting us, of course, because he calls himself the author and the perfecter of faith. The next interesting thing about tension is that when it's revealed and when there is sufficient trust, it creates movements. It creates change. Incredible. And this will enforce change and give direction. So it's not to be conformed by the physical reality. It's to get higher perspective so that we are able to visually inspect and discern all matters and prove the will of God in every situation and through every circumstance. Listen how he urges us by, the mercy, by his own mercies to be living sacrifices into where the mercy seat is. Do not occupy the outer courts. Come in and draw to me. Proceed further. Progress in completion. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I will persuade you. It means to have firm persuasion, which is usually gained from having a conviction based upon hearing. Hearing the Lord. When we hear from him, his word is penetrable, it is convincing, and it has the power to outwork itself in us. Found in the Holy of Holies. As Habakkuk heard, he was convinced. It creates conviction and confidence. I will convince you as my word is penetrating, powerful, poignant, and perfect. Perfect love sees the end. It is a complete, full-orbed love that is completely full of itself. Completely full of itself, yet it is selfless. The only way we can be selfless is to know we have everything. Because selfishness comes from lack. It needs to grab. It can't give because it has nothing. But full-orbed love... Is self. It's, it's, it's so much of itself, which is love, not self-love, you know what I mean? But it can give and it can be selfless. And it is able to continually pour out and give in overflowing abundance for eternity. And it's committed to you. It is committed to you and it is committed to me. And he is in for the long haul, faithful to the end, because he is complete and he is full. He is reliable and he is dependable to do this. And he is willing to, to go through the necessary stages with us, the tensions of life that he has set up for our benefits, 
to put up with the good, the bad, the hostile, the accusations, the mocking, the despising, the hatred, the ignorance of um, the ignorance in the flesh and the pride of life. He can put up with that because he knows. This is perfect love who has a complete view and an eternal purpose in mind. I'm just going to share very quickly something that, that, that happened for me that he had to reveal to me. And even though it was devastating, it had to be done. Um, one, one day, it was about probably two years ago, um, I was at Haley's house and a few of us had got together to um, get in the word and, and be together. But I, I just felt I needed to leave. And I crossed the road, because <laughs> we live there close, crossed the road and um, went into to my lounge and opened the word. And I knew for a long time that my heart had turned from him. But I, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to believe it. And he led me to Revelation 2. Um, and, you know, he, he commends the Ephesians church. Doing good works, pat on my back, you know. Um, I see your heart. You've got a heart for pure doctrine. Um, you know, uh, you'll call out the false witnesses, false teaching, what, you know. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I think he's talking to me. But then he goes to, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. You have left your first love. And those words that I get that his word is a two-edged sword because it went right in and to my to my heart, but in my gut, physically feeling sick. And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, help me. Help me. I know, I know. I have left you. I have left you. And guys, you know, our heart can, can just turn that much. But when you've experienced such an intimacy and a oneness with him, that feels like that. And you don't have to have a life that's absolutely backsliding to be away from him. And this is what had happened to me. And he said, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember that place of intimacy with me where I gave you higher perspective. You have fallen from that place and you are consumed with what is going around you. You are consumed with the the words of men, men's opinions. You have fallen from where you were with me. Remember the heights of your former love with me. Repent and change your mind about the current status you're in. Return to the previous ways of doing things. And I know the difference in my life of what I was doing when I was with him and what I was doing when it was all about him. Okay? You have left your first love. You have fallen from higher ground and left the place of intimacy, the holy of holies. He had to remind me of this when I had landed myself in the outer courts. Somehow, I came out of the Holy of Holies into the outer courts. I was persuaded with persuasive words of man. Okay, we were having big discussions on who he is, what is he about. 
a lot of righteousness, a lot of self-righteousness talk, a lot of self-effort, what we can do. You know, the church of Laodicea, which was condemned for being lukewarm, the word Laodicea means man's opinion. I had traded that for the word of the Lord. And the difference between his persuasion and man's persuasion is that man's persuasions are just words. The Lord's words are with power. And they change us. And they convict us. And they, the time we receive it, it implants his nature. So we don't just know it all, but we can be all. We have compassion. We have love for people. Peace. He had to remind me where it says, let each of us be fully convinced in our own mind. It's the love of Christ that compels us. And any lack of love is lawlessness and rebellion. You see, I found myself not only in the outer court, but my love, my love for him and for people, the heat had gone right down, right down. And it's, this is what it, it can do when, we, when we're living for man's opinion, we, we become in this, temperature and it's on the outer courts and he said to me did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith oh of course no when I came to know you it was by you and you alone I wasn't within a service I didn't meet him in a service I met him in my closet crying out but it's by his word that it changed me it says if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law Perfect love will intervene and it will intercede for the fullness of life. As Art Katz again puts it, any falling short of the full orb of life that God has intended for men and women in their humanity, in God, is a measure of death. Perfect love says, I will come to bring you life and that more abundantly. He persuaded me into higher ground. He convinces us into belief and he loves us into submission. If we are convinced and persuaded by him, we will live by conviction and our lives will look astoundingly different. And there is just no other way to live. I experienced his mercy as I approached him. And this is what I wrote in my journal. So this was after. The love of being reconciled to the one who is perfect love is so worth the humbling return to his heart. To pass through the outer courts, through the inner court into the furthest room, which is home. The joy of reconciliation outweighs the fear of repentance. Love judges with the desire that the object of its affection will return, repent, and be reconciled to himself. And I believe the Lord has committed this message of ministry and reconciliation to us as a body that if we have received mercy, we will show mercy. If we have been convinced to love, we will live with conviction, persuaded by his perfection, to even believe and call others to live in a higher realm, to enter into the Holy of Holies and to trust and abide in him, being spent on him. So, we have come to know by personal and, obs and observation and experience and have believed with a deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and he will continually in him. In this union, the fellowship with him, 
love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have the confidence, listen to this, in the day of judgment to face him. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out, drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears us is not perfected in love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother and seek the best for him. You know, this whole process, the necessary process of of coming into completion of the consummate goal, which is perfect love, which is the bride, is also the priesthood. And we can think it's very much us and him as individuals, but as we know, the bride is a collective people. But not only is the bride going to love him and minister to him, we are going to be a priesthood that is in service of him and to his people. And there is no way he is going to use a people that have not experienced his mercy, his, his goodness, his compassion, his love, his long-suffering, his patience because of the necessary process they went through. If they abort that process, if they abort the tensions of life to have an easy, good life, the comfortable life, they are not going to be put in a position to reign over people who are hurting, who are broken, We welcome the future, Judgment Day, because uh, where we will stand before perfect love in the Holy of Holies, before the mercy seat, by the mercies of God himself. Confident because our lives were lived in response to perfect love. We love him because he first loved us. It's where we spent our lives being convinced and persuaded by him, where he was entrusted through the stages and the tensions of our lives, where that, um, that, cause love to be perfected in us. We live lives of conviction that began in faith and resulted in love. You see, when we live in the place, the Holy of Holies, if we spend a lot of time there, before the mercy seat, before the Lord, through the tensions of life and the circumstances, it is going to become like home. And so when we stand before him one day, it's not going to be foreign to us. He's not going to not look how we thought he looked. We are going to usher in his appearing. We are going to welcome him in because we know perfect love and we identify with perfect love being perfected in us, that we welcome that in. It is not a fear thing because love has been perfected. My heart is overflowing with a good theme and I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. He is perfect love. Perfecting himself in us. Cool. I've got um, a song that I'd just like us to end with. And I, I, I just pray. I just pray now, Lord, I pray that only your word will be received this morning. I, don't, I, I know that the words of Mel will fall away because they don't have the power to penetrate the hearts. So I pray, Lord, the work of your word will continue in every heart that is here this morning listening. 
I thank you that you are perfect love and you are perfecting yourself in us. And I praise you through every circumstance and situation, through all tensions of life and every stage. I welcome these things because I know you are at work. And Lord, help us to be a body that communes with you in the holy of holies, the place of intimacy where you persuade us into higher ground, where you give us perspective of the complete picture beginning to end. Oh, thank you for you, Lord. You, you are amazing. You are good. You are all-powerful and wonderful. You are personal and thoughtful and loving and just graceful. I thank you for your mercies, Lord. Have your way in us as a body, Lord. Continue to build this body in your word and in your power. I ask this in Jesus' name.